Are we thankful for that living hope? That hope that's laid up for us in heaven? That hope that we can find only because we know the truth of the gospel. And that's why we come together this morning. What a blessing that is. Well, let me just share with everybody this morning a happy 4th of July. I know everybody thinks this weekend's just about picnics and fireworks, right? But then we get a weekend of weather like this. So that's got to remind us of something else that goes on. And we've got to think about the fact this is also a weekend when blockbuster movies tend to come out. They put them out on this weekend for a reason. So that causes us, our family loves movies. And so we have to think about this and ask ourselves, what's the blockbuster? What's the epic film that's going to be available on the 4th of July? What's the heart-wrenching underdog story that's going to grab our hearts? I mean, we love our movies. We do. Now, I expect many of you will recognize this, and I want you to think, what are your thoughts and memories that come up with this picture? Now, we could certainly debate which of the movies in this series is the best, whether it's, you know, just that unexpected outcome of the fight in Rocky, or is it the unexpected win by Rocky in the second movie? But then, you know, Clubber Lang, Mr. T., that makes Rocky Three a must-watch for me. But then you bring the patriotism in with Rocky Four, and who can turn their eyes away from Rocky versus Ivan Drago? You know, even if you don't like boxing, the constant pitting of good and evil, the perseverance of the underdog, and then infused in all of it, there's the cringeworthy romance pursuit of Adrian. But underlying all of these storylines comes an unexpected relationship. That between a once proud and cocky world champion, Apollo Creed, and the small-time working-class boxer out of Philly, Rocky Balboa. Now, they have every reason to be hated rivals, don't they? Yet, somehow, they bond together. All of their differences to include race and wealth are overcome by their bond in the boxing ring. An unlikely friendship that allows them to together overcome every obstacle. Well, this summer we're digging into God's Word in a way that helps us to look at character traits that help us to be able to overcome any obstacle through right relationships, a relationship with Christ. And as such, we find hope for fruitful service. You know, I've enjoyed preparing the messages as we've been going through this series because each one has brought a beautiful truth of how we can grow by making every effort to add to our saving faith blank. I mean, we've talked about moral excellence. We've talked about knowledge, perseverance, and godliness. Well, today we're going to unpack another one of these traits from 2 Peter verses in chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. So let's take a look at what the Scripture says, and then we'll uh, see where we're going to go from today. Because the text tells us, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Now, here we are getting towards the end, and I don't know how many of you asked the question, you're going, but wait a minute, we call it hope for fruitful service. Where's the fruitful coming in? Well, it's actually right behind this in the passage in verses 8 and 9. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful 
in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So all of this together, as this is why we've worked week by week to build upon a single statement, making every effort to add to your saving faith blank. And so then, from verses 5 to 7, we take these character qualities one at a time to fill in. The main idea is that by our faith in Christ, our salvation transforms our lives. We were once enemies of God. Now we're His children. We were once in the domain of darkness. But He has transformed us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. We were once dead in our transgressions, but now are alive to God in Christ. We were once far from God, but now we're citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven, a place of ultimate freedom, indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And so because we have such a great salvation, we are called to grow closer to the Lord, to grow in knowing God, to grow in glorifying His name. And that means producing fruit. That means adding to our faith indicators of a transformed life. Indicators like moral excellence, like godliness, like self-control, and like brotherly kindness. So today we're going to make every effort to add to our faith by producing the fruit of brotherly kindness. So let's ask ourselves then what it is. What is brotherly kindness based on what God's Word says? What does it look like? How can we grow in our faith in order to produce this brotherly kindness in our relationships? Now you may find, depending on the translation of the Bible that you've got in your hands, or if you like to go through multiple, you may find brotherly kindness. You may also find the phrases brotherly affection or even mutual affection. You see, so that helps us to round out our understanding, but it helps us even more if we go back to the original text and we look in the Greek. Now, right here, you might also find the connection to today's intro because Peter uses the term Philadelphia. Philadelphia meaning an affection for one's fellow believer in Christ or a love for one's fellow believer. Okay? Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? But I don't know about you, but I have to admit, whenever I watch a Philadelphia Eagles game, I'm not so sure I see what God's talking about. Now, there is a clear understanding by Eagles fans that if you're from Philly, you're part of the brotherhood. But if you're not from Philly, well, stand by. But there's something to that that actually still comes through even in the New Testament understanding. In the New Testament, the terms Philadelphia or if they, in a noun, Philadelphos, I mean, they were both specifically used in relation to fellow believers, much in the same way that someone from Philly seems to have a connection with anyone else who declares to be hailing from the same town. So now as we move forward today, we're going to find this command then also points for us to our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, even beyond how we are called to love our neighbors in general. And so similar to previous sermons, we're not going to just preach off of one word. We're not going to try and build an entire sermon off of Philadelphia. Otherwise, we'd have far too many rocky examples going on. But instead, we're going to anchor ourselves again with an example from God's Word. So just as we looked at Daniel for moral excellence or we looked at Solomon for knowledge, today we're going to unpack the example of mutual affection or brotherly kindness in the relationship that's described in 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 9, as we look at Jonathan, the king's son, 
and David, a shepherd, and the anointed future king of Israel. And so with that in mind, if you will, join me as we open God's Word so that we might be growing the fruit of brotherly kindness. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 18, starting with verse 1. Now it came about when he'd finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. It happened as they were coming. When David returned from killing the Philistine, we're talking about David and Goliath at this point. So it happened as they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang as they played... And they said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they've ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. And seeing now the truth of what God has revealed in His Word, I want us to walk together as we find three ways that we can grow in our faith and produce the fruit of brotherly kindness. And so as we seek to make every effort to add to our saving faith and to grow in fruitful service, let's take a look and let's go right to God's Word to see the first of the ways that we will grow. Because it comes when we knit your heart to brothers and sisters who are seeking the Lord. We'll find that this will be both about you and it will be about those whom you seek to grow with in brotherly kindness. You see, as it said in in verse 1, now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Jonathan loved him as himself. Often we think of Jonathan and David as just simply good buddies who hung up about the same age, and that they simply became best friends as soon as they met. But Scripture would indicate that there was something else going on because Jonathan was actually much older. In fact, we find that there was likely several years that occurred even since they first met and that they'd each had opportunities to grow in knowing the character of the other. And so that when it says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to David... Well, that was based on growing to know David and coming to know David's heart. And what Jonathan saw was that David had a passion for the name of the Lord. Jonathan had just returned from watching David boldly face the Philistine Goliath, something no other warrior in all of Israel was willing to do, including the king. But it was not just David's victory that caught Jonathan's eye. Jonathan didn't just jump on the champion's parade after the victory. He saw the heart behind David's action. 
David was doing all of this to honor the Lord. He was seeking the Lord. Notice the things that David said, which would resonate with someone who loved the Lord. We're going to go backwards now in 1 Samuel 17, where it says, David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? You see, David's motivation. His motivation was for God's honor in the same way that an Eagles fan might stand up when the uh, Eagles or the Giants fans are trying to diss their team. But it wasn't about a man. It was about God. David's heart was not to protect his own honor or even Israel's honor or the king's honor. It was all about God's honor. And that's what goes on. Look at it. Even when he is speaking to Goliath, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. Now we might be thinking for David and Goliath, that's a pretty bold statement to be making. But we've got to look at the rest of what he says. For he says, And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know what? That there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that what? The Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And He, He will give you into our hands. You see, David had already had some victories in his past as a shepherd protecting the flock from lions and bears, but nothing, nothing like this. I mean, think about it. He was in an extreme disadvantage physically. Jonathan's looking down and he sees Goliath. He probably saw just what looked like a small child standing next to him. But what he saw, Jonathan saw David trust the Lord. And that would be somebody that I'd want to have as a brother, wouldn't you? Ask yourself, though, why would David also return the same mutual affection to the king's son? He was a man of very different circumstances. He grew up with the king, grew up in the palace. But we see in, this re- in the record of Jonathan's victory in 1 Samuel 14, a victory that happened because Jonathan also trusted the Lord. And so this trait was on both sides of brotherly kindness for both David and Jonathan. They each had a passion for the Lord. And they each trusted in the God of Israel to deliver the enemy into their hands for God's glory. They both knew their lives were not all about them. And so they both sought another who was also seeking the Lord. This also explains why David and Jonathan and subsequently all of us who want to be seeking others who are seeking the Lord, we seek those who are marked with humility shown in serving. You could say that David was often the most theologically aware person in the room. He understood and knew and was aware of God's presence. I mean, it says that David's focus was first on God, not the other things that were going on around him. And as such, his actions, which would honor God, became the trademarks that defined David, especially in his early life. And so even though he was a strong young man with plenty of success under his belt, belt in David's passion and zeal for the Lord, there was still a humility about him. And that confidence, that bravery, that humility all together came from his love for the Lord. 
Notice what he said to the king before stepping into the battlefield with Goliath. He said, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and will fight with this Philistine. And even though David had played music in the king's court, he might have expected that Saul should remember him. Even though, and then even though Saul's response on the battlefield looked at him and said, you can't do this, you're just a youth. You're too young. And then even on top of that, listen to Saul's word when he appears to not even know who David is. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? Look at David's answer. I'm the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. David didn't remind him. He says, I'm the only one to even willing to do what you yourself, king, will not do. No, he answered, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse. David constantly refers to himself as a servant. And in fact, you see here, he doesn't even respond or identify himself in this. He's the son of your servant, Jesse. See, now if I'd killed Goliath, I'd probably be yelling back to my brothers up on the sides of the hill going, did you see that? Take a look over here. Yep, that was me. You see him laying on the ground? But that's the difference between seeking my glory and seeking the Lord and understanding my need for Him. I can't slay Goliath, but God can. I can't win the battle with, even with my own pride and sin. But Jesus did. That's the good news that we all need. Because my greatest battle, the giant that I'm facing is my own sin that separates me from God. And I can't win that battle on my own. Can't win that battle. I need to seek the Lord. Because He's the only one who's won the victory over sin and death. But we each have to choose. We each have to choose to believe that Jesus chose to live His life to serve us, to serve you, to serve me. He gave His life that we might have victory. So before we can truly find brotherly kindness in this world, we have to choose to accept the love of Christ, our brother, by which He chooses to make us a part and make us brothers in His family. Brothers united in Christ. Brothers, each seeking the Lord that we might grow in brotherly kindness today. And so if you're with us today and you've got questions upon your heart about Christ and what all this means and what He's done for us, then don't, don't leave today. Please stop one of the pastors so that we can walk with you to look at what God's Word says and what God has told us or the answers to the questions are upon our hearts. That question is the most important because it gives us a freedom unlike anything we would celebrate as far as freedom this 4th of July. Because though Christ had not yet lived and died, David recognized his need for the Lord as well. He recognized that it was the Lord that delivered him from lions and bears and the Lord who defeated Goliath. And because of that, David saw himself as a servant of Saul and ultimately as a servant of the Lord. And so then, as we look at this, along with a passion for God, along with the humility, what separates David from others and resonated in the heart of Jonathan was also that David demonstrated a desire to do God's will. 
David was known as a man after God's own heart. See how he's described in the book of Acts. After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. What we find here is that the one who humbly seeks the Lord, whose heart is aligned with the Lord, wants to do what God says. It's not just a feeling about God, but rather it is a choice of obedience. Jesus helps us to see this as well. Look at how Jesus described this in understanding what true brotherhood looks like, how true brotherhood is defined by a people desiring to do God's will. He said in Matthew 12, Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. That is why we have a, that is also why we have a warning God, in God's Word, one which we often speak of for marriage, but ultimately is not a marriage verse because it applies to all of our relationships. When we're asking ourselves, who is my brother? Who is my sister? Who are they? We're also warned, do not bind yourself with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And so as such, in brotherly kindness, the principle that we're finding to start today is that we all need to be cultivating this focus in our lives. First, we need to be seeking the Lord. Then, we need to have a right view of God, bringing a humble view of ourselves. We need to choose to follow God's will for our lives. Then, as we want to grow in brotherly kindness, we do so by seeking others who are doing these same things. Ask yourself, what's the most desirable trait that you look for in a friend? Do they love the Lord? And then, even ask, why are they seeking you as a friend? Is it because they see you seeking the Lord? Philadelphia. Brotherly kindness is about a mutual affection for one another that is based on a common heart for the Lord. And so our friendships can't be, a how, can't be about how another person makes us feel or about if they make us feel important, if they make us feel accepted. Because what will happen then is we will choose to cling to that person, trying to not serve the Lord, but to serve them, to do to them and for them the things so that they will keep making us feel that way. Instead, brotherly kindness is a mutual affection for a person which comes from an attitude of, I love the Lord, you love the Lord, let's go seek to love the Lord together. Then we'll grow closer and closer. Then our relationship will grow deeper and deeper in an appreciation for each other because we are seeking the Lord. And so this leads to two questions that we all need to answer. First, am I seeking the Lord? Am I seeking the Lord so that others might see that in me? And are my closest relationships based on seeking the Lord together? And if the answer to that is no, 
It doesn't mean that we have to end those relationships, but it does say we should change them. Because God's word says, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. And so we are called to start by seeking to add the relationship in our life that's based on the Lord. And then for the relationship that might be drawing you to anything other than the Lord, change that relationship. Change it. Because it becomes a ministry opportunity. You can choose to not follow what they are following. You can choose to be seeking the Lord even in that relationship. And then you can choose to stand boldly before that giant and proclaim the good news until they hear you and allow God to use you to be the one who might draw them to seek the Lord. Opening the door for one day, real brotherly kindness. And so to bear fruit, bear the fruit of brotherly kindness, we need to cultivate the right relationships in our life. And then we also need to be faithful in your relationships. When we're in close relationships, one of our natural fleshly tendencies for all of us is that when life gets hard, when staying in the relationship gets challenging because of what's happening between the two of you, or to the other person, and that's overflowing right on top of you, when it gets hard, our instincts would tell us, eject, I'm out of here. Or maybe you're remembering a time in a relationship in the past where the things got hard for you and all of your friends started to disappear. Well, it's my prayer for each of us that the opposite would be our experience that when you went through something hard, that you had faithful friends surrounding you. And as a way to grow from our text today, I believe that we can learn from it. We can learn from David and Jonathan's covenant. Look what it says. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, gave it to David with his armor and his sword, his bow and his belt. Ask yourself, what does it mean for the king's son to give up his robe, armor, and sword to David? Well, Jonathan recognized that the Lord was with David, and David was going to rise. And instead of him taking up David as his enemy because he threatened his place in the kingdom, he entered into a partnership with him, a covenant relationship. Jonathan saw that David was one whom the Lord was using for his glory. And so Jonathan and David entered into a formal covenant with each other. And then they reaffirmed that covenant over and over again throughout their lives. They were committed to each other. And the basis of that commitment was that each of them believed that the other loved the Lord. The tie that bonded them together was the Lord. Look what it says in 1 Samuel 20. As for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. The Lord was the glue that bonded them together. And so they took this relationship seriously because they had a mission to do. They were called to drive the Philistines out of Israel. And they were both doing that with a focus on the Lord. But we too have a mission, folks. We have a mission to share the love of Christ. And we have those who we are in a covenant relationship with as well. 
You see, there are two primary ways I think we can apply this covenant that we see Jonathan David in, because first, we need to take seriously the covenant relationships that we are in. Now, while the relationship that Jonathan David had was strong, I'd argue that the relationships that could exist in this room can be even stronger. In fact, they ought to be stronger because the covenants that are possible in this room are between those that know the Lord and are brothers and sisters in Christ. See it in Christ's own words. In the moments leading up to his death, Christ would say, in the same way he took the cup after he had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. That which bonds us together in Christ is a new covenant with the Lord. And, I, and then that I also love the fact what that means for us as a church. How we are bound together in a church covenant. And that's why we have church membership. And that's why it's so important. Particularly in this day and age when people don't see relations, relationships as something that would carry through, but rather as something that is just convenient for the moment. It's good for people to formally be committing to each other and to help each other to honor the Lord, knowing that we're all going to give an account before the Lord. And so I want to part together, partner together with my brothers and sisters for what? For the glory of the Lord. There are many places in Scripture that affirm this special relationship that we have with one another, and it should impact how we live and treat one another. Let's take a look at a couple. First, in Romans 12. Romans 12 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality. Or in the letter from Peter that we studied earlier this year, we see that it says, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, there's brotherly love, brotherly kindness. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. And that is through the living and enduring Word of God. One way that we can know that we are bearing the fruit of brotherly kindness is if we bear it both in season and out of season. If we keep bearing it when we're tested. If we keep bearing fruit when it's hard. And as such, the second way that we can learn from the covenant of Jonathan David is to recognize that brotherly kindness is actually strengthened in trials and persecution. We see this play out in the lives of David and Jonathan. When the king was seeking to kill David, look at what Jonathan said. He said, Do not be afraid because of the hand of Saul, my father. It will not find you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. Saul, my father, knows that also. And so the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in Horesh while Jonathan went back to his house. Jonathan was really in a difficult position there, if you consider it. A very difficult position. Excuse me, it jumped back on me. Saul's his father, but he chose David. He chooses to honor the covenant when the situation had significantly changed. And by choosing David, Jonathan was accepting that he might take the wrath of his father. 
which had been proven to include a threat of death. And it certainly would have been easier for Jonathan just to throw his hands up and just try to remain outside the path of destruction, but he did not. Proverbs tells us, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Ask yourself, is there evidence in your life that shows that you're being faithful to, the co- to any covenant relationships? And so let me, ask, let me ask a few questions. How about for the teens in this room? When you're at school, do you check on the others who are part of youth group on Sunday morning? What if they're being picked on by somebody else at school? Including if it's by someone who you might even call a friend. Do you stand with them? Or do you remain silently in the background? But how about the adults? All the rest of us. The same things apply. But we also have to consider, do we stand with our brother and sister when it has a cost to us? When helping them impacts what we want to do. When helping them has an impact on how we want to spend our time. Are we faithful in standing with our brothers and sisters in Christ? As a church, we've had many opportunities to do this recently as well. And so I'd ask, will you stand faithfully for the truth of God's Word when the world pushes back upon us? I'm not talking about political activism here. I'm simply talking about standing firm for what we believe and not shying away from difficult conversations. Not shying away when we have the opportunity to stand with our church family to show the love of Christ by lovingly speaking the truth. And so my prayer for all of us is that we might grow in taking seriously the relationships that God has given us right here. And then our final lesson for today's passage is we're called to celebrate a brother's growth and blessing. Now, in these last verses, we're actually going to see both the opposite indication of this in Saul and also then see the goodness of what happens with Jonathan. Look how this, what the passage today finished out. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. Saul sent him, set him over the men of war. So Saul chose to put him in a high position. And it was pleasing in the sight of the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. But it happened. As they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out from all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and musical instruments. The women sang as they played, and Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. But look at Saul's response. He became very angry. For this saying displeased him, and he said, They've ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they've ascribed only thousands? What more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Saul had initially loved David because of what David did for him. However, as soon as David was being elevated in the hearts of others, that relationship changed. Instead of thinking, wow, the Lord's really blessing us. He's defeating all of our enemies. The Lord is with David, working through David, and that's great for our people, and it's great that they would obey God, and as such, we get to drive out the Philistines. Instead, Saul begins to look sideways at David. He even despised him and looked for ways to be able to get him killed by the Philistines. But brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness rejoices with those who rejoice. And so in order to bear the fruit of brotherly kindness, we must avoid the jealousy 
when avoid jealousy when the Lord is blessing others. See this wrong example here from the king. Saul was even more afraid of David, and thus Saul was David's enemy continually. But see the example from Jonathan. Well, that's going on. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Don't let the king sin against his servant David. He has not sinned against you, since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. Would you agree with me that sometimes it is we are all tempted with jealousy when our friends seem to have continual success? They seem to be driving in the express lane, blowing right past us when all I can see is miles and miles of cars parked in front of me and I'm not going anywhere. It's hard. Yet God calls us to avoid jealousy, to not allow jealousy to grow in our hearts when it appears the Lord is blessing others. But how do we do that? How do we avoid the trap that Saul fell into? Well, let's consider a few steps that we can take. First, Keep a careful watch on your thoughts. Do I see things rightly? Do I see a blessing for a friend, or is my focus only on what I don't have? If only I had that too. But God says we're called not to covet. But when we do, confess to God a jealous heart. When we are faithful to confess, we know God will forgive. So we need to confess to God a jealous heart and respond when the Holy Spirit convicts us of jealousy. And then open your heart to the one with brotherly kindness towards you and tell them of your struggle, asking them to give thanks for what God is doing in your life. You see, not all temptations require the aid of fellow believers, but jealousy jealousy really is best fought with a genuine friend. And then lastly, We can choose to celebrate as we rejoice in having the same purpose. Look here in Samuel 18. David was prospering in all of his ways, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before them. The Lord was with David, just like Joseph. The Lord was giving things into David's hands. David's purpose was to make the Lord number one. And God was blessing that truth. Jonathan and David had the same purpose. The purpose to honor the Lord and to honor the Lord before His people. And we see that that is why we are called to do the same. Look when Christ is speaking in the upper room before His death as Christ, was before He was taken away to be crucified, He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, but that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If we can't rejoice with a friend who is truly being blessed with the Lord, then are we truly walking in this command? Because we too have a united purpose. We're to have a love for each other that sends a message that we are followers of Christ. And that love for each other, that brotherly kindness, we want that to be enticing for others to see, to show what it looks like to be reconciled to God and how that changes the fundamental focus of our relationships, the fundamental change of what our purpose is 
We see it how Paul goes on to say in Philippians 2, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united brotherly kindness, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose, glorifying the Lord. And as such, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Folks, if you have this purpose of following Christ, you will be united with others who have the same purpose. And there will be a powerful love and affection that is evident to others when they see your relationship. And as such, you will bear the fruit of placing others above yourself, just like a brother or sister is supposed to do. But all of this, as we close, starts with a singular focus. It starts with a focus, a passion on the Lord. It starts with a humble heart wanting to serve God, to seek to do His will, not my own. It means that we take those relationships seriously and we remain faithful. We stay committed to brothers and sisters in Christ even when it's hard and uncomfortable, even when we have to pay a price for what's going on in their life. And lastly, you bear the fruit of brotherly kindness by wanting what is best for your brother and sister. And you celebrate their growth. And you celebrate how the Lord is using them for His glory. That, those things, will bring brotherly kindness. Join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank You for this day. I thank You for Your blessing and Your Word. And Lord, I ask that You would just use this time that You've given us today to work upon our hearts as we give thanks for the freedoms that we have. Lord, we give thanks for Your Word that would call us to be drawn to those who have a same purpose in our lives. Lord, help us to be able to find and grow and cultivate relationships of brotherly kindness to grow in our focus and our passion for You, to walk in humility, to consider others as more important for ourselves, that we might rejoice together for walking in a singular purpose. Lord, we love You and we praise You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.